Okay. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, welcome to the Rising Tide podcast. I'm your host, Jake Wood, and I have a, a really powerful, special guest and friend uh, who's going to be joining us here today for a conversation focused on uh, today, Memorial Day. Um, you know, the Rising Tide is where we seek to explore how people, companies, and nonprofits can lead lives of purpose and lead them well. Few Americans, few human beings, uh, demonstrate that as well as our guest today, Top Washington. Um, I'm going to go off script here. I, I, I first met Top Washington uh, in this photo here that will flash up on screen um, in 2006. Uh, I had just joined the Marine Corps. I'd been stationed uh, with the 2nd Battalion, 7th Marines in Southern California. And like the Marine Corps does every November, uh, we hosted uh, a gala to celebrate the Marine Corps' birthday. And so in November 2006, I went to uh, some rinky-dink uh, resort and casino in Laughlin, Nevada, um, not exactly uh, the, the finest destination in the world. And our battalion uh, hosted this Marine Corps birthday ball. And one of the Marines that I had become fast friends with, Mike Washington, uh, brought a, a pretty interesting date for his ball. Uh, he brought his father, Mike Top Washington, who is our, our guest here today, Mike Sr. And, uh, you know, it was uh, an incredible moment because, as you can see from the photo, Top Washington is a highly decorated uh, Marine, a veteran of 23 years serving as a master sergeant in the counterintelligence field. Um, and I think we were all just in awe of Top that evening. Uh, we were fresh recruits out of boot camp. And uh, Top was the Marine that we wanted to grow up to be. Um, we'll talk about uh, uh, his son, Mike, here in a moment. I want to finish uh, Top's resume. Top served, as I said, 23 years in the Marine Corps, primarily in the counterintelligence field. Um, he also served simultaneous to that uh, in the Seattle and Southern California Fire Service uh, with a total of 32 years of service to communities uh, across the Western United States. Um, since retiring from the fire service, Top has now uh, graduated with a master's degree and is serving, continuing to serve as a mental health trauma therapist for police and law enforcement across the country. I've, I've seen Top speak on the issues of the trauma that he experienced as a firefighter over the course of, of three decades of service. And I know that um, there are firefighters and police officers across the country who will be well served by the hard gained wisdom that he has. But I want to circle back to why we're bringing Top on today. Today is Memorial Day. Uh, I mentioned Top's son, Mike, Mike Jr. Uh, I served with Mike in both Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, Mike was a dear friend. Uh, we found ourselves coming out to Los Angeles uh, a number of weekends uh, when we were back on st in stateside. Mike and I uh, we're in numerous firefights and ambushes together in Iraq. And after Iraq, when I moved on to uh, the sniper platoon, Mike took over a squad in, uh, in our old platoon. And when we deployed to Afghanistan, uh, Mike was, uh, had been promoted to sergeant. He was one of the, uh, the top Marines in the entire battalion. And tragically, on June 14th, 2008, uh, in the Helmand province of Afghanistan, Mike made the ultimate sacrifice for his country and was killed uh, alongside three other Marines in a roadside bomb. Um, and, uh, you know, his death was uh, devastating for our battalion. 
Uh, and it was devastating for me personally. Uh, of course, devastating to to no one more than than to his father, Top Washington. And I will say that following Mike's death, um, Top took on this this remarkable role within our battalion. Um, he he hopped on his motorcycle and crisscrossed the country as more and more of our killed and wounded came back from Afghanistan, sitting down and meeting with the parents of, of the fallen Marines of 2nd Battalion, 7th Marines. And I think was really the glue that kept that battalion together. And certainly his service uh, has not stopped. So Mike, I wanna say thank you for your service. Thank you for raising an incredible young man and an American. And thank you for everything that you've continued to do uh, for not just us that served in 2-7, but for the communities all across the country in which you've lived and served uh, over the last decades. Thank you for, for coming on and joining here today. Well, you're welcome. I'm, I'm honored to, to have you, uh, to be invited by you. That I, I have to say I'm equally in awe of you and everything you've done with uh, Team Rubicon and how you continue to serve. So I'm, I'm just happy to be flying in formation with you. <laughs> well, see, you, you mentioned Team Rubicon. I, I actually forgot that part of the story. So, uh, you know, kind of fast forward. This is 2008 when when uh, top son Mike is 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 killed uh, in Afghanistan. And you fast forward four years and I am uh, in the midst of, of Team Rubicon and, and Hurricane Sandy has just hit the East Coast. Massive disaster. It's the largest response Team Rubicon had ever run up to that point. And uh, here we find ourselves again in November serving in those communities and, and we're approaching the Marine Corps birthday, November 10th. And I remember these Marine veterans came into the building facility that Team Rubicon was staying in uh, Brooklyn. And they said, oh, we just had this amazing experience. We were at this bar in New, on the New Jersey shoreline and uh, this, this Marine Corps veteran uh, stood up and, and led us in all of the Marine Corps birthday traditions. And as they keep going on and on about this, I'm like, that sounds a lot like Top Washington as they're telling the story. And sure enough, uh, you know, I, I turn around and they point and they say, oh, that, that was the Marine right over there sit, sitting on that uh, sitting on that bunk. And I look over and there's your your bald ass head. Uh, and I think you stood up and bellowed wood. And uh, and that was that was our reunion. That was the first time I'd probably seen you in four years. You were you were pretty busy. Um, yeah, my my actual first uh, deployment with TR was uh, was to Haiti, not the initial one. Uh, That's for right. The Cobra, uh, outbreak, and I think we got loaned out to uh, uh, IMC. Uh, yep. So International was, Medical Corps. Yep, and uh, that's where I crossed deck with Clay. On uh, he was leaving as we were going out at Lakay, or Lakai rather. Um, and I forget what what happened before Sandy, but yeah. So yeah, we were at Union Beach first, and uh, you know we had a couple of two seven guys over at Union Beach with us. Um, uh, Rabinskis was there, and I said, "Okay, we got to yeah. do we got to do something." And so we we did it. So yeah, and then yeah. we we joined up in uh, in Brooklyn at that warehouse that we were in. So yeah. Well, and I remember I asked you, hey, you know, in top what are you doing here of course i knew what you were doing there you were there to serve with team rubicon but i remember when i asked you that question you said i'm here to serve for mike because i knew because i know mike would be here yeah. and uh that line has has always stuck with me um let's maybe let's maybe go back um let's maybe start at the beginning so okay. you know i talked about your bio 23 years in the marine corps 32 years in the in the, in the fire service 
you know, retired from both of those endeavors now, not one to sit on your laurels and you go and you get a master's degree, you're continuing to serve in this new capacity as a therapist, but like rewind the clock, I guess, four decades. Why, why, why is this the life that you led? Uh, that, that's a good question. I think, you know, we all join the, the military, uh, or, uh, yeah, I'll say the military exclusively for a number of reasons, right? There's family tradition. There's uh, you want to serve your country for a lot of people. There's the economic benefits, adventure, those things like that. And I, I come from a, a family of some service. You know, my father was in the Marine Corps, so I you know, want to be like dad. And uh, uh, so I, I actually joined the Marine Corps open contract and ended up in dispersing of all things. I was a pay clerk for my, for my, uh, my active duty time. And I just, I didn't even know the Marine Corps had pay clerks. I had no idea that there was such a thing. And I just, I hated it. And so when it came time, uh, you know, for my, to reenlist and it was one of those, are you going to go for a career or not? Uh, I started looking for something else and the fire service provided all those things for me that I wanted out of the Marine Corps that I wasn't getting. Um, so I, you know, started working towards becoming a firefighter in Fallbrook, California, and and that all worked out really well. But I still had my Marine Corps dreams of being in a combat arms field, and uh, so I went into uh, LAI, Light Armored Infantry, and deployed and uh, fought with them in a Desert Storm. And then when I came back, went into the counterintelligence field, and uh, uh, that's where I did my subsequent deployments to Bosnia, Iraq, Afghanistan, uh, uh, Africa bunch of other, you know, smaller places. And, but it's just, just, uh, it's, it's what I do. I, I don't know what else to call it. Uh, American samurai, if you will, it's just, this is what I do and this is what I'm going to do. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know, I don't really have a really great answer for you. Uh, I love the camaraderie. I love the people Mike loved. I think that's why he went in the Marine Corps. He had the ability to go to college. We grew up in an upper middle class environment, um, but I think he loved that camaraderie that that I had with my friends in the Marine Corps over years and years and years. And subsequently, when he died, you know, Marines from everywhere, you know, came to his funeral and uh, who remembered him as a small child and uh, things like that. And those were all the things that he loved about the Marine Corps that are so true about all the services, I think, but especially the Marine Corps. And um, yeah, so. Yeah, so I, you know, you, you know, you, you touched on something that I think is really fascinating there. You joined the Marine Corps because your father had served and you, sounds like you were in awe of him. And, you know, I mentioned how, uh, you know, Mike, I think in part joined because he wanted to be like his dad. And, and, I, and I can see why he would want that. And there was no doubt that Mike had other options. I mean, I, when I talk about Mike, I say, here was a kid who had, the most unbelievable smile guy looked like a freaking Calvin Klein model. I mean, he was just the most handsome kid you've ever seen. Um, young, lean, smart, funny as hell had this, you know, uh, infectious laughter. Um, but he wanted to be like his old man and, you know, and, and not just his old man, but his grandfather. I mean, he spoke about the, the two of you and, and he just that's that's the type of person that he wanted to be. I, he aspired to join the fire service just like you as well. And, um, you know, here we are on Memorial Day. You know, how do you how do you think about Memorial Day? This is obviously a day to remember our fallen, to honor them. But you know, what, what are you going to be spending today doing? Well, uh, 
I'll be with family uh, down in Southern California. We're, you know, my my family now is a three gold star family. Um, my wife Valerie, her her grandfather was killed on Okinawa, uh, May tenth, nineteen forty five, serving with three uh, one, and you know, my goal when I go to military cemeteries, I say the names of those who who were killed in action because I don't want them to be forgotten. You know, in this day and age, you know, we have Google and once the name gets there, it never goes away. I want these names. So Private Maximiliano Talamantes, Private, Item Company, 3rd Battalion, 1st Marines, he lives forever. Him yep. and my son live forever. Michael Ristow, U.S. Army Striker Brigade, my, uh, my cousin's husband, killed in action in Afghanistan 2012. He lives forever. And uh, I, I just endeavor to remember all of all of the men and women who who paid the ultimate sacrifice so we can barbecue and go to the beach and do these things on Memorial Day, which I want people to do. Yeah. I want you to be happy. I, I'm, I'm not mad about the sales or anything like that. You know, it, it is what it is. Uh, I, all I ask is take a moment if yeah. for no other day in the year today before you go out on those that fun thing that you're going to do. Just think about it. Think about what it what it means, and if you're not happy with where our country is is sending our troops, then let, let your let your elected officials know. Be vocal about it. Be a good citizen in honor of them. Yeah, no, I, I think you're absolutely right. I, I I do not relate to the veterans I know who get upset about the trappings of Memorial Day, who get upset when they see people. You know, planning a barbecue, a day at the beach, uh, you know, a, a mattress sale, whatever it is. I mean, like you said, those are that's a part of a three day weekend. I don't begrudge anybody that's going to partake in any of that. I certainly don't want people moping around for 24 right. hours, um, you know, forcing themselves to feel sorry for for people. Let's be honest that they probably didn't even meet. But I do agree with you a, a thousand percent. You know, these names, they need to be said. I, you know, I wear this this steel bracelet you know anybody that's been in the military will recognize what this is it's a kia bracelet it's got mike's name on it it's got three other names on it that we lost in iraq and afghanistan it's got blake howie who was killed february 18th uh, 2007 in anbar province iraq it's got nathan windsor who was killed march 11th 2007 three weeks later in also in anbar province iraq mike washington and leighton crass who were uh killed together june 14th 2008 in Helmand, Afghanistan. And, and every day I, or, you know, every day I think about them because this, this bracelet literally never comes off my wrist, but every Memorial day, I, you know, I drink a beer, I go out into the backyard. My wife knows that I probably need 10, 15, 20 minutes to myself to sit and reflect and sometimes have a conversation with them. Um, funny, they, they never speak back. Um, but you know, that's, that's what it is for me. Um, and I think, you know, just like when you go to the 9-11 Memorial in New York City and you see people, they go and they touch those names uh, that are carved into the, those granite blocks around the reflection pool. You know, the, the names need to be remembered. Um, and uh, so 10 years ago, 10 years ago today, uh, you know, we crossed paths uh, again in Team Rubicon. Uh, the organization was serving in Moore, Oklahoma, following what was a devastating tornado. I, I think a lot of people probably forget about this one. But uh, in late May uh, 2013, so just uh, just about 10 years ago, probably this week, tornado tore through Moore, Oklahoma, 
you know, a couple dozen miles outside of Oklahoma City. Um, you know, dozens of people were killed. It leveled a, an elementary school where several children died because it was in the middle of the, cl- the, the, the school day. And Team Rubicon deployed hundreds of, of volunteers out there. And, and you happened to be out there. And, uh, and, and it was, of course, on Memorial Day. And we tried finding this iconic photo. I, I couldn't find it in time for the podcast. But you, know, you addressed the several hundred volunteers that were there in that moment uh, about the power of service, the power of service and serving on Memorial Day. What role has service played for you in, um, I guess, working through the trauma of losing your son overseas? Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting. I know for me, as I as I look back on on my my journey, my, Michael's death really broke the dam that I that have been holding back a lot of trauma that I've had since childhood. You know, since uh, you know domestic violence, violence in my neighborhood, molestation uh, that that occurred, uh, just a number of things, and let alone the fire service and war, and finally his death and. I didn't know how to deal with that. I, you know, as a, I'm a 60 year old man. I grew up in a time where you don't complain about this. All my mentors were tough guys. Um, so be tough, man up, be that guy. So I'm doing that until I can't do anymore. And part of, part of that, uh, a double-edged sword was serving with team Rugon. I got to go out and be with, with just some terrific people just doing great work, you know, for people I don't know. It was such an awesome thing, but, I, I just, I was running away a lot. I was listening and taking in other people's grief and, you know, being that father confessor to them, if you will, but never really dealing with, with, with my stuff. But I have to say that, you know, more was that, was that high watermark for me. And in one sense, it was such a great feeling being with such great people in this tragedy, just trying to make it better. Whatever, one brick at a time one brick at a time and uh, for some people that was uh some of the people we served that was just an amazing thing that we were showing up and so many of the young men and women that that i deployed with tomorrow were like me they were lost you know i i left the marine corps earlier than what i wanted um but and so i was lost because of that you know i i i just had didn't have a sense of direction like i said i'm reeling after michael's death and, and being in more really helped me out in, in the respect that I just get that, that community that I miss. The, the reason why you started Team Rubicon, right? I had that back. And it's different than the fire service. It's different than law enforcement. It's, there's nothing like the military uh, connection that you make, especially a, a wartime. And I think going to someplace like more devastated as it was, is about as close to going to war um, and we had a, a tornado actually come back when we were yep. out at Inco. So, you know, there was a little little threat there uh, to yourself. Now, the other side of the sword for me was uh, more told me, you can't run anymore. This this boiling over. Uh, I was I was starting to have these emotional implosions where I tried to go find a, a spot where nobody could see me. And I just have this emotion come out. I don't even know what it is. And I'm not talking about a, a good cleansing cry. I'm all for that. That's what, not what this was. This was like Tom Hanks in Saving Private Ryan when he just, he has that emotional uh, event that he doesn't know what that is. And I'm yeah. having that a lot. 
and I'm trying to put it away. And I remember one of our team Rubicon uh, members named Damon, he recognized it and kept everybody away from me because he's just like, let, I'm going to let top have his moment. Then when I come to the surface, I'm like, all right, you know, okay, let me, where's everybody. I got to go be top again, you know, night knife handle. We got vehicles fueled, got chow going, you know, all those things that you do. And he just looked at me and he goes, how you doing? Of course, I'm going to say, I'm good. Good to go. Ready to go. And he just looked at me and just, you know, with, with so much love and, and uh, empathy in his heart. And he says, how you doing, Top? With a little less conviction, I'm going, oh, I'm good. I'm good. But in our eyes locked and I, re- and I knew that he knew. I knew that he knew and he was like, let me get everybody over here so he can have his moment. Uh, and he knew that because he's going through the same thing. Not in the same moment I was, but he can recognize it. And he's like, okay. And that, and I have to say, after after Oklahoma, it really hit the high tide mark where I, I just run out of options and I was ready to kill myself. I was ready to just end my life because I was just, I hit the wall. And it was, as I stood on that bridge, and I, I don't, don't, never owned a firearm before, and I still don't. And I'm glad because between my taking solace in alcohol, a ready firearm in that moment would have, I wouldn't be here. I'm convinced, convinced. But when I went to that bridge to, you know, really end my life, uh, it was Michael, Michael's voice. He said, dad, your story doesn't end here. You have work to do. As plain as you and I are talking right now. And that was it. That's, that's all it's, all he said. And I stopped and, you know, just kind of, tried to make sense of what I just heard and I left the bridge. Now my life didn't just change by walking off that bridge, but I never went to suicide again. My life was still a mess, a hot mess. And there was just so many directions that I'm going down that I'm going to continue to make it a mess and make it worse. However, that was the part, that was my turning point. That was when I started saying, okay, let's get some help. What does that look like? Okay. VA. Save a warrior. Let me start with there. And then going to the VA and getting a therapist and going to the vet centers and slowly turning my life around and and making sense and understanding what's happened to me from age zero to age 50. And so the good news is I'm still here. And for some of the people who are listening right now, you're never too old. You are never too old to change direction. And it's and it's awesome. When you get to the other side, it's great. It was tough. It was tough sledding. I ain't gonna lie. There was some things uncovered that, you know, was, you know, like being molested. You know, for a guy, you don't talk about that ever. And so talking about that the first few times was was tough. Now I can say it in front of a thousand people, and it has no dominion over me, none whatsoever. Um, so I've had I had to make that transition. It was hard work, but it was good work. And all those things that happened to me up to that point are, are things that make me who I am now. And I guess I don't, in reality, I don't want them to go away because they make me this person. I think I'm a better therapist. I'm a better husband. I'm a better father than my daughter, Asia. I'm a better colleague, friend, whatever it I, uh, that I'm better at now and I'm going to continue work in progress is because of all the things I went through before. Yeah. And getting the help and putting me in this chair. 
Well, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I think uh, there's a, an entire nation that's grateful that you're still here, Top. You know, I, you, you, man, you touched on so much. I, I think the the one thread I would pull from there is your statement about you know seeking help. Yeah, even if you're a, you know, a, a hardened 23 year combat veteran of the Marine Corps fire service, um, go get help. And fortunately, I think that the, you know, the tide is turning on that. I think people are more willing to talk about mental health. Uh, certainly, I, we, we've seen mental health issues exacerbated uh, over the last decade, accelerated even further throughout COVID. What we see happening with with young children today and social media and the, and the mental health challenges that they face that are, are, are truly novel uh, relative to, to recent history. Um, man, if, if, if a guy like you can acknowledge that you need help, um, anybody can do it. Yep. And, you know, as because it's Memorial Day, it's worth touching on, particularly for those military veterans out there, you know, you know, you have likely lost a colleague, a battle buddy to suicide. I lost my best friend, Clay Hunt, my sniper partner to suicide. He's not the only one from our battalion. Our battalion has lost more Marines to suicide than we lost killed in action to the enemy. And that's that's tragic. That's that's and it's not just tragic. It's it's all the more tragic because it's doesn't have to be that way. And go get help. Reach out. And if you're listening here and you know that Marine, that soldier, that sailor, that airman, that work colleague who you think is walking to that bridge, call them, call them and give them an ear, be that, that voice that they can pour everything into or encourage them to, to call a hotline, to go get the help that they need. I think you know, that's maybe the most important thing uh, that you said here today. You, you, you mentioned your daughter, Asia. She's a pretty special woman. You guys have been getting out there in the field together over the last couple of years. I, I've seen the photos. What's that been like? Well, you know, uh, we, we, yeah, we went to the Bahamas together and she was in the first wave, you know, first ones on the ground. And, uh, Bahamas uh, after the hurricane, by the way, after for the hurricane, yeah, yeah. Hurricane Bahamas to like the sandals resort, <laughs> yeah. which, which remarkably were still open when we were there. I mean, there was people coming in going, where are you guys going? We're going the hurricane, you know, and they're going like, what hurricane? Yeah. And it was, you know, was, you know, so it was really interesting, but, yeah, it was just awesome serving side by side with her, you know, and her brother, uh, her brother's spirit was there. And uh, so, yeah, so we have a very special bond anyways. But uh, I think going on a Team Rubicon deployment was uh, was certainly, uh, yeah, that was just, it was just terrific. She's an ICU nurse now back east in, uh, uh, in Georgia and raising two terrific kids, uh, Jada and Jasmine. It's unbelievable. Yeah. It's unbelievable. So you're a, you're a therapist now, yep. is that right? Is that the right way to say it? You're a trauma therapist and you're working yes. specifically with law enforcement and in firefighters. What's, what's, what's that been like for you? Well, that, that's a career I never saw coming. Uh, I was a, a peer support member in the fire department for 25 years. And that's peer support is exactly what it, what it says. It's uh, you're somebody who's in the same job, but has some training to listen and help out and, and uh, guide someone to more resources if needed. Um, so I did that for a number of years. And our mental, mental health professional, John Powers, on the department was retiring. And he encouraged me to go back and get my master's of social work and, uh, and 
more or less take his place, be that be being be the next generation. I had no idea, and I had no idea I would love this work so much, um, especially working with my law enforcement brothers and sisters. I'd never dreamed that. So, for example, in, uh, I work with the Seattle Police Department, and I'm in their South Precinct, which is in the same area as where my final fire station was, uh, Fire Station 27. And I'm having these really surreal moments where I'm doing a ride along, which I did yesterday. So I'm in a patrol car passing by engine 27 going by the other direction. And I'm going, what's happening here? Or I'll yeah. go to a call uh, where police and fire are showing up and I'm getting out of a police car. And some of the guys who, uh, who I worked with going like, what, what's happening here? What, what are you doing? And I explained to them, oh, you know, I'm a mental health professional and, uh, you know, this is what I'm doing. So part of that is just riding along, getting to know what the job is of a police officer. And for some folks, it's a, it's a great place for them to talk and just be there, be present. That's my, my main job. But it's, uh, it's terrific. The biggest part is I sleep at home every night next to my wife and it's easy on the back. So yeah. there you go. I think, I think people probably fail to appreciate just how much trauma someone in law enforcement or in the fire service will see throughout a 20 year career. Uh, you know, I, and I know I certainly didn't appreciate it. Um, and I, I think it's, it's worth any of those listeners out there that are military veterans, maybe combat veterans to, to understand that, you know, our colleagues, uh, our civil servants in, in the police and fire service, I mean, they're seeing a level of trauma consistently over the course of a multiple multi-decade career that in some ways is not that much different than the combat trauma that we saw. I mean, you know, these car accidents, responding, responding to suicides and, and, and self-inflicted gunshot wounds and things like that. These are horrific traumas that, that wear on these folks and, you know, to, to not leave them behind in that conversation around post-traumatic stress. Exactly. And the suicide rate for, uh, for firefighters, the last, uh, the last year that we had, it, I think it was 2019 was 117 uh, that we know of that suicided, which is far more than die in the line of duty. And when I say that we know of, in our in our world, and in the military as well, but in our world, there's a lot of firefighters. You know, ride motorcycles, you know, mountain climbing. They they do extreme sports when they're not, you know, on the job. And then sometimes we lose people to a to what we call you know these uh, uh, these extreme sports where, yeah, they normally wouldn't do that thing. Yeah. And as we unpack things, we kind of find out, you know, gosh, this may not have been an accident, but we don't know for sure. Right. But uh, and, and and I'm not just looking at the suicides. I'm just looking. I want lives, lives well lived. Because yeah. regardless, you and I, Mike, you know, Layton, everybody else, we're human beings. You know, we are human beings. And I want people to just have that good life to live well, whatever yeah. that looks like for you. But I think we can all agree in a general sense, what living well looks like. Yeah. And, uh, and we have a lot of our people who are not living well. They are struggling. And when you're struggling as a police officer or a firefighter, that seeps into your job. When yeah. you're carrying a load from childhood, from your military service, just from being a human, and now you're put on a uniform as, as a police officer or a firefighter, and you go to everybody else's uh, you know, worst day, yeah, that adds up. That that yeah. that is huge. And the the thing that's amazing is, and uh, especially law enforcement, fire as well, is that we have young people who are signing up for this job. 
when the recruiting poster for the job was, here, get hit in the head with a brick, get called bad names by people, uh, work long hours, you know, so on and so forth, sign here. And they are, much like you and Mike did, you know, hey, join the Marine Corps, get in the rifle battalion, guaranteed to go to the worst places in the world. And you guys said, send me. Same thing, man. I want to take care of those people. I I want I want to. They are just the the best people that I know uh, out there, and I got their back in whatever yeah. way I can. I got their back. Well, there's yeah, there's no doubt about that. We've we spent a lot of time over the last thirty minutes talking about some some deep subjects, some some hard subjects. I guess on Memorial Day, with all of the the dialogue about the future of the country and, you know, are we headed in the right or wrong direction? What's the next generation of Americans look like, you know, as a, as a 60 year old, uh, you know, Marine and fire department veteran, are you bullish on America moving forward? I, I am. I get my days though. I certainly get my days. January 6th was one of those days. And I'm saddened that so many veterans, uh, kind of fall in that extreme extremism, uh, uh, point of view, but I, I am, I'm bullish. I'm bullish because I see, I see the young people coming in and they are, they want to come in and they want to make a difference. And I encourage whether I, I do some work with the army at Fort Lewis down the, down the road here. And, and I remind, you know, the first sergeants and uh, the, the, the staff NCOICs that, that, you know, when these kids come in, yeah, I, I get it. There's that fun thing that we do going, you know, back in my day, we did it like this. But it seems to get stronger now. It seems to get, you know, just really more, uh, just more aggressive, uh, more culture wars based. But I remind them that when you showed up, people looked at you with a raised eyebrow going like, I don't know that we won the war with people like you showing up. And then somebody taught you. So be that mentor, you know, pull that kid aside. And I use this example before I, uh, I retired in December 2020. And we had a what we call a detail to our station. I mean, somebody who doesn't normally work there, but we had a space. And so they came in and it was a young firefighter. And he seemed to be on his phone all the time at the station. And it's just annoying to an old guy, right? It's just like, even though we're on our phones all the time too. Something different when they're on their, on their phones. I don't know what that is. But anyway, we pick up a run and we jump on the engine. He's still on his phone. And I'm just going, man, this is just annoying. And I didn't, I didn't say anything. I wasn't going to say anything. But a second after I thought that, he told our driver, he says, look, I got a, I got a good route to this uh, address that was out of our district. Um, and, and a particular road was closed at the time. But he had, you know, got on his phone and used that technology, that second nature to him to help out in the job. And I said, let's leverage that. Let's." Yeah. And I said, you know what, man, that's awesome. I'm going to do that the next call. So the next call comes because I got an iPhone just like him. Next call comes in. First thing I got to do is find my glasses, you know, and then I'm, <laughs> I'm doing like this. And I'm like, let me see. Oh, no, that's not that. No. Okay. What am I doing here? Of course, we're there by, by now. So I said, <laughs> you know what? Okay. This isn't my jam. This is not where I'm going to excel. But that's what this generation brings to the table. They bring a whole, just a boatload of different views, different ideas. Yeah. You got to, you, you teach them differently. Just like my generation was taught differently than, some of the Korean World War II and Vietnam guys that were in. Yeah, but the com- in the common thread through them is that purpose, right? That sense of purpose. Yeah. As long as we maintain that, we're going to be okay. 
Yeah. And now if we come in and we beat them up and tell them how they're not as good and uh, their generation, oh, blah, 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 and we have a certain edge to it that's not just fun and games, they'll leave. Like, right. Why would you stay around to, to take that? I wouldn't. You know, so, yeah. So let's bring them in. Have have the fun, that camaraderie, because that's part of it. But yeah, teach them. Tell them you're, man. I'm glad you're here. I'm yeah. super glad you're here. But I'm bullish. I'm bullish on America. I am. Well, that's good. That's good. I think. I think too often right now we're finding ourselves falling into the trap of of thinking that uh, you know we've we've that we're in decline, that our best days are behind us. And I, I at least for me, I wake up every day you know, refusing to leave, uh, an America that's worse than I had it for my daughters. Um, you know, and, and I know that that was the fight you've been fighting for, for your children and your, your grandchildren now, um, which is inspiring. Um, Mike top, uh, it's been, uh, awesome to have you on board, uh, here on the rising tide. I, I want to say thank you for your service to our nation. Um, it is, it is more than most Americans can even comprehend. I want to say thank you for raising your son and your daughter, Asia, to be incredible Americans and human beings. Mike in particular, uh, was always willing to give the last full measure and he did. Um, I wish he were still here. I wish he could see, you know, have the, the same joy that I've had, raising, you know, raising two young children, pursuing a career. I know he would have been amazing at life after the Marine Corps, but I do also know that whatever life after the Marine Corps would have been for Mike, it would have been a life that was purposeful and a life in continued service to his country in one way or another. And I, I, I guess I just ask you to pick up that photo behind you and, and kind of take it up to the camera a little bit more. Cause I think, you know, for any listeners that are out there listening, you know, the one thing the top asked is, you know, on today, just like any day, uh, say their names. This is Mike Washington, killed in action June 14th, 2008, Helmand Valley, Afghanistan, um, an incredible American who deserves to have his name said. So, Top, thank you for Mike. Well, I'll take half credit. I'll take half credit for him. Uh, uh, and, and thank you, Jake, for all the things that you do. And, and that's the other thing. There's just, there are a lot of Jake and Mikes out there. Um, for, you know, there's different ways that we've come to be on the level that we are now, but I am constantly, man, just reminded and, and, and in the presence of some remarkable people out there that, that just make me better. And Jake, don't ever, don't, don't ever think that Mike's not with you. Oh, I know. I guarantee he's right here in this room and not just in that picture. That's why I, 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 I don't shed, uh, tears of sorrow. I, I have tears of joy because he's with me and he is with me and I'm convinced that he's watching over all of his friends and uh, yeah. Yeah. Keep talking to him. Keep talking to him. He's answering you. Not in the way that, that we're used to, but he's there, man. He's there. Well, all right, Mike. Uh, thank you for coming on. Uh, it was, uh, you know, Awesome to see you again. Uh, yeah. Best of luck as you continue your your new career. Uh, you know, those men and women, they need you. So uh, thank you and, and, and keep going on. Thanks, brother. You too. Happy Memorial Day, brother. Same to you.